Blog Talk Radio. Tune in to the hottest sports talk show on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. Join us weekdays at 7 p.m. Stories about players and coaches of all levels. We make it easy to talk sports. Welcome to the second hour of Never Had It So Good Sports Talk Radio. Again, a big thank you to Larry Tisdale, Carlos Bradley, and Ricky Porter, along with my co-host, um, Duck Riley. It was a great show. We only talked about two subjects, but I think we had um, some great conversation. Duck Riley, you didn't answer the question, but we're going to move on to the second hour. How are you, sir? <laughs> Doing great, uh, Princess. Uh, I don't want to have to move to Columbia. So, yeah, I, I'm good. Uh, uh, you know, the great thing about it, we only had two topics that we discussed. But, Princess, honestly, we could have probably went on for another hour on just those two topics. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and you know, we, we play around a little bit, but we were serious in our advice um, that we were trying to give on that show, and and I want to see those young men be successful. We've all had a journey, and we've not all had a perfect journey. We make poor decisions, but we want to see our children, you know, um, do better, and we try to guide them. But um, sometimes, sometimes, like I said, I think John Morant made poor decisions. I think Zion Williamson made poor decisions. But the good news is, is that they could, you know, they could turn it around. They can turn it around. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Exactly, exactly. So we're going to welcome in one of our guests here tonight. We have pro college scout dads, and we're still continuing to celebrate Father's Day. Um, again, thank you to the crew from Friday night. We had a special show with all of the dads that are on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network, including Duck Riley, Kevin Walker, Jason Collins, Tim Moore. Did I get everybody? I think that was it, and it was just good just to have them on to talk about being a dad and what that means. And so we're going to continue this for um, the month of June. I'm excited that we do this during Mother's Day, and, of course, we do this during Father's Day. So tonight, Marcus Berry is going to join us and also Terry Bradway. Let me open up 3426. That's the last four of your phone number. Give us your name, sir. Hi, this, this is Marcus Berry, Chief of Staff at Temple Football. How are you, sir? Thank you for being on. Cool. Yes, thank you. thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you, thank you. Duck, that's it. That's all in the system. So you want to get started right now, and then we'll we'll pipe everybody in. Okay, yeah, I just want to hit Bradway uh, real quick. Okay, all right. So you can talk to Marcus a little bit while uh, I'll try to track him down. Okay, you know what, Marcus Berry, we were talking, and, and again, my name is Princess Cooper. Welcome to the show we were talking about John Morant, which I know is not football, um, but you being a coach and a dad and a, and a, and just trying to help young men, what would be some advice that you would give John Morant? We want to see him succeed um, and, and, and get on the right track. Yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting because I'm a huge John Morant fan. Uh, I think yeah. he has an unbelievable skill set, uh, unbelievably athletic, and he's pretty much been going in the right direction in his career on the floor. But he basically, uh, 
one of the things I, I kind of talk about all the time with even with our players and just players from around the country, a lot of the kids today have a really hard time separating worlds. They, they, they yeah. struggle with it. You know, it's like, you know, I guess with the legalization of like marijuana in some places and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and just the way that is like a free spirit with a lot of the kids, you know, they can't separate the world. So if you're a, I say, if you're a, a, a professional athlete, making a lot of money and you're a part of a brand or part of the brand of the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball or what have you, you, you have mm-hmm. to uphold that brand. And then if you're a college, you know, a college athlete, especially guys on full scholarship, you, you have to uphold that brand. It's not about just you. And kids have a trouble just, you know, separating worlds. Like I said, so their friends and the, and the young ladies that they're dealing with, you know, they might be out there, might be, you know, dealing with the drugs and, dealing with alcohol and things like that. Yeah. But you, as an athlete, a professional or, or, or a college athlete, you're not able to do that. You know, with college, there's still drug testing and things like that, but you're not able to do those things. So you can't, you got to separate the worlds. Well, in this world, I can't do it. Uh, I can't do what they do. You know, I can, they can still be my friends and things like that, but I can't do what they do because I'm in this world where I have to uphold these brands and I have to uphold these deals. It's not, not just about me. So I think a lot of kids struggle with that, and uh, that's you know that's kind of what I see with John Morant. Like he can't struggle; he struggles with I want to be around my friends and I want to be in that, but he can't be in that world because he's a multi, multi, multi million dollar player. He just can't do what he's what he's been doing. So I pray that he gets it. I'm a huge John Morant fan, uh, but he's you know hopefully this big suspension is gonna you know be the wake-up call that he needs uh, to kind of get on the straight and narrow and just do things the right way. Yeah. John Morant um, grew up about 20 minutes from me. I'm in Columbia, South Carolina. He grew up in Sumter, South Carolina. So I got a chance to see him play in high school. He's been a big deal since high school. Um, I I hope that he can, you know, again, capture this and, and, and get on the right track for sure. Duck Riley, we have you back in the system, sir. Yep, and uh, uh, Terry's going to call in. Um, I think we have him here. Um, Mr. Bradway, do we have you? You do. Nice to be with you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for being on. Okay, Duck, I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay. All right, uh, Terry and uh, Marcus, what we want to do is just kind of lead into how, you know, want to talk about how you got started, and then we're going to move into – the progression of being a scout, uh, being a recruiter, et cetera. So I want to start with you, Terry. Just kind of give uh, the listeners a little bit of your background and and then just kind of tell us how you got started and was this something that you always wanted to do? Well, thanks, thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I, I grew up loving sports, playing sports. I was a Division three football player. I I was a grad assistant at the University of Cincinnati. I coached for a year at the Merch Marine Academy. and But I, I always wanted to be in sports, and I really wasn't sure what direction it was going to take me. And to be honest with you, I met a guy one summer. I was I was actually teaching school in 1980. I was working at a health club in, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I met a guy that, whose brother was a Canadian Football League GM, and he did some scouting for his brother. And that's the first time I really heard about scouting. And so 
I said, you know, that'd be a great way to get back into football uh, without without being a coach. So I was very fortunate, uh, and and Doug, you were a major part of that. The the USFL came along in 1982. Carl Peterson was the GM, president GM. He had worked at UCLA. He knew some of the people I was with at Cincinnati. And lo and behold, I was able to get on with the Stars as a scout in 1982, not really knowing what I was doing. I mean, we went out the first couple weeks, and we never even really had a meeting. And I remember my first game was Connecticut against Yale at the Yale Bowl. uh, And and John Dorsey, uh, who a lot of listeners might know from being the GM in the league, John was actually a, a player at Connecticut that year. Um, that we ended up drafting but didn't sign with us because later on I told him he wouldn't have made our team because we had Sam Mills, Michael Johnson, George Jameson, John <laughs> Bunning, and George Cooper. So uh, that was a pretty pretty strong group. Uh, but that's how I got started, and I was very fortunate, Doug, to be with you and be with the Stars. We had a great organization. You know, a lot of the listeners may not even remember the old USFL but if you go back and look at the players that played in that league, you know, we were 48-13-1 and one in three years. We won two championships, played in three championship games, had four coaches on that staff become NFL head coaches. We had four uh, players, guys and player personnel become NFL GMs and a lot of players that went on to play. So, you know, we had trainers, we had video directors, a lot of people that got an opportunity. And if it wasn't for that league, like a bunch of us, you know, I wouldn't have uh, uh, had the career that I had, but I was very fortunate. And you, I mean, I, I don't want to get long-winded here, but you'll remember our third-string quarterback in, in 85 was a guy named Dave Boyster from Holy Cross, and his dad was a personnel director with the Giants. So it turned out to be six years with the Giants, nine years in Kansas City, back with Carl. And then I got my great break in, in 2001 when Parcells recommended me to the Jets. I became the GM of the Jets, hired Herm Edwards, uh, stayed there 14 years, only five as GM before I stepped down. But uh, then five in, in Miami and then retired. Uh, really miss it so much, and now I'm back uh, working with Carolina. So, you know, that was a long, long-winded story there. But, um, you know, I, I, I love what I'm doing. I was very lucky. I, I don't take this job for granted. Um, and I'm in a position now where I, I try to help as many young people as I can that are trying to grow through the business. Okay. Uh, uh, Marcus, uh, same question. Yes, sir. And first of all, it's very, very uh, an honor to be on the call with a guy I've admired for a long time, Terry. I've known Terry for years, you know, so I've admired him all, you know, all the way through and, and, and I'm really happy to be on the call with him. But me, my, my kind of story is like I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, pretty good, pretty good high school player. Um, Got a, had a major knee injury um, my senior year. I missed my entire senior year of high school. And, you know, uh, that was the first time that I actually started thinking. That's the only time I started, the first time I started thinking about, man, what if I don't make it to the NFL? Like, I, and I never even crossed my mind until I'm laying in the hospital uh, bed with a, with a torn ACL. And uh, got a chance to go to West Virginia University. And, uh, and, and I really didn't have the itch to coach or, or to be in scouting at all. Uh, right away, I got my, ma- ma- uh, my degree in sport management, and my very first job out of school uh, was an account manager with the with the Washington Bullets, who are now the Washington Wizards. So I was working, kind of working in the NBA, doing that, learning the business side, and then I got the itch in my late 20s uh, to coach. 
Um, never had that aspiration earlier, but I got it then and got a chance to uh, coach at Friendly High School. Um, I basically sent out my resume to all 20 high schools in Prince George's County, Maryland, where I was living at the time, and I got a call back from one coach, George Early, who's like a father figure to me. He was the longtime head coach at Friendly, and he hired me on, and I was there for 11 years, and we had a lot of success. Uh, won, won three state championships and put a whole bunch of guys in school, but you know that 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 is when I started my coaching career. But I didn't start until my late twenties uh, with that, and then uh, it did a good job with that. But <clears throat> when I got a break, and where I wanted to kind of get in personnel was uh, in 2003. I got an opportunity to do an internship with the Packers, with the Green Bay Packers, and that's when I fell in love and realized that God gave me uh, a talent for evaluation. I think that's uh, one of my one of my gifts is being able to evaluate players and things like that, and I uh, got a chance to do that internship, which I really enjoyed. I got a chance to do another one uh, in 2007 with the Jaguars. I was with Terry McDonough and Shaq Harris, and really, really learned a lot about uh, you know the business and things like that. And really, always aspired to be in, in the NFL, try to get a personnel job in the NFL. Um, so, but had a lot of success, like I said, as a high school coach, and got an opportunity to. Uh, to interview for the director of player personnel job with the with North Carolina University of North Carolina under, with Butch Davis and uh, went in for the interview and and then killed it from what I understand and then uh, got hired on and I've been in college recruiting ever since so I was at North Carolina as the director of player personnel from 2009 to 13 uh, I was at Illinois and then for six years from 16 to 22 I was at uh, University of Maryland. And I'm right now the chief of staff for Temple Football. Happy to be working with my man Stan Drayton, who I've known for years, and we actually grew up in the same neighborhood, uh, Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, super excited to be in this new role. Um, it's a little bit more than just personnel, but I, I do have a lot of personnel input uh, within the program also. Okay, I'm gonna uh, go back a little bit, Marcus, uh, because I want to, you know, I want to know uh, about the progression. Okay. You've been as a recruiter. What what is what is your main responsibility uh, for for the college or university that you're at? Okay, so right now, like I said, I'm, I'm a, I do a lot more basically chief of staff. You kind of like supervise all the departments and kind of keep be like the right hand man of the head coach. But when you're in a director of player personnel or director of recruiting type deal. Your job is to like you're supporting the coaches, and as far as their uh, their their recruiting efforts or their their evaluation efforts. So you have an evaluation piece, you're evaluating the players, and then you want to make sure that you you get guys on campus and things like that. And when they get to campus, you're selling your university, you know, all the way through. You know, one of the things we're you know we're we're in North Philadelphia, you know, at, at Temple University, and a lot of people like they kind of think about the neighborhood that kind of surrounds us and things like that. But when you're on that campus. I mean, it feels – it's a great campus. I do really, you know, feel like, man, this is a really, really nice place. So our thing is we're trying to get kids there so they can see it. And if they – once they see it and once their parents see it, then, you know, we'll, you know, we'll be, we'll be, you know, I think we'll be in it with just about every player we get. And we've had a lot of tradition, a lot of success. So we really feel like – matter of fact, one of our guys that played at Temple is Coach Bradway's son, you know, so – the biggest thing is that once and they once the guys get on campus, they have that great feel. So our job is to market and sell the program, market and sell the university, and, and then kind of set it up for the coaches. That's that's kind of what your deal is as a director of player personnel. But there's a piece you want to have detailed evaluations. 
you want to make sure you got to set your boards and things like that and kind of make sure that the, we're going after the guys that are going to help us to win conference championships and, and get to bowl games. Okay. And, and I, uh, I hear what you're saying. You're talking about a board. Uh, for the listeners out there, what, is, what are you exactly meaning when you say a board? Okay, so you got your recruiting board. So right now we're recruiting for the class of 2024. So the guys that are rising seniors uh, now for high school, and then you have guys that are, uh, you know, in junior college also because we do recruit the junior colleges. Those guys are on our 2024 board. And then the guys that are rising juniors, they're on our class of 2025 board, all right? And we actually go all the way out to 2026 because you got to start as young as possible. So what you're doing is, like, we have recruiting areas. Uh, our base area is about a five-hour drive from Philadelphia uh, going in every direction. That's kind of our base footprint. And then uh, we're going to try to accumulate and try to get all the players that we can in front of our coaches, get those guys evaluated, and then by position you create, you, you kind of rank the guys on the board, on your board. So, uh, and one of the things that Coach Drayton is on the guys about is this ranking your, your guys. So you get them evaluated, and then the guys that are, of course, that are offered, that you decide to offer scholarship to, you're going to put those guys on the top of the board, and you kind of, kind of rank them in order by what your need, how much you need, and how many players you're taking in that particular class. So we're in charge of that. You have certain numbers, such as uh, you can only have 85 guys on scholarship at once. So, and then you're basically going to lose players, and then eventually we're going to add to that. So, the example, let's say we're, if we're losing two running backs, then that means we're going to be replacing with two running backs. So, we're going to try to get those guys out of high school or junior college. Well, as of right now, the new trend is you're getting guys out of the transfer portal because of the one-time uh, transfer rule where you can transfer from one school to another and you don't have to sit out like you did in the past. You know, so you have to kind of know about those guys, too, but you really can't recruit them until they actually go into the transfer portal. And then when they do go into transfer, there's two different times they can go, and you can kind of recruit those guys if you still have the need for those positions. Okay. Uh, my last question before I come to Terry. Okay, you're looking at the board and say that you got five running backs listed from one to five. You prioritize them. Now, you see another – your coach goes out – during the spring, and he sees another kid that he likes, and you come back and you rank him. So do you drop any of those kids off the board when you find somebody better? No, it's, it kind of doesn't work that way. So kind of for most uh, programs in the country, you know, some of the blue blood programs may, maybe not, may not recruit like this, but if you're not a, a high-level blue blood program, a Georgia, Alabama, or Ohio State, you kind of got to uh, go into it looking at you have to, like, maybe offer five times more guys than what you need at the position. So if you, if you end up, let's say you need two guys at a position, most times you're going to offer ten guys to get those two, and then you rank them, and you're going to try to recruit them to get them in that order. But, like, you might have a guy that might be number six on your board that you have a really good relationship with that fits what you do and things like that, and that kid calls in and say, hey, I want to commit. You know, so that guy, you, you get basically everybody on board, the position coach, the coordinator, and the head guy. If they're good with taking them, then he takes that spot. Now we still only have one spot. We have one spot left. So it's kind of one of those type of things is you're always trying to look at the best fit, the best player you can get that fits what you need, that has the uh, personality, has the discipline that you're looking for, 
that guy might not be the number one guy on the board. He might not be the number one, but as soon as you get your two guys, then you kind of like shut down recruiting at that particular position, you know, unless you can get a guy that can flip your roster. So, like, sometimes you might see, you might have the, the plan to take two, but if you can get a guy that, that's going to, you know, give you a chance to, like, be a dominant team, you take the third guy, and then you got to take a spot from another position. So it's always a, a coordinated effort by the entire staff to kind of make those type of decisions. So you go in with a plan, and you just have to kind of, like, adjust to it from there. Okay. Uh, Terry, you, you were talking about uh, being a GA at Cincinnati. Then you were able to move on to become a scout. Give me the life of a of a scout. Well, yeah, thanks, Doug. Well, first of all, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to be on here with Marcus, and, and I know Temple is really lucky to have him. And I mean, he would admit to you also, Doug, that now these college recruiting programs are are much like the NFL and the way they're set up, and obviously. You know, Marcus with experience in the league, and especially at Green Bay, who I think prepares scouts as well as any team in the league, uh, and also Jacksonville. Um, you know, with the with the high school recruiting, with the transfer portal, it's really like the draft and free agency. So I'm sure they do a lot of the same things we do in terms of uh, identifying the type of players they want and making sure their scouts and their coaches know exactly what they're looking for and what they're trying to bring in. But to get back to the life of the scout, you know, there's there's a couple different. Obviously, you got the college scouts that basically are on the road from August till the beginning of December, uh, scouting schools, making school visits, getting background information, watching tape, watching practice, getting a great feel for those players. Um, and each team could have anywhere between five, six, seven area scouts depending on how they set up the country. There might be a couple national scouts that go over the top and give you a second look. And then obviously you're going to have maybe an assistant director or director of college. Some of the good schools like the the Georges and Alabamas and Penn States, you may have three or four people go in there through the course of the fall and look at them. Some of the other schools, depending on the value of the prospects, you know, you could have three, two, one, and maybe even a school that's got a player that's, you know, borderline, that area scout may just have to watch tape on him and decide whether or not he wants to go in and make that visit. So it's a lot of time on the road for the college scouts. You know, I mean, I remember when I first started with the Giants back in 86, we'd be on the road for three weeks at a time. We don't recommend that to anybody anymore. A lot of these young scouts have families. And really, you don't want to be on the road more than seven to ten days at a time because then after that, it's just diminishing returns. And when you're sitting there, the thing that people don't realize is you get up you, you get up early. Most guys like to work out. They get to the school by 7.30. They meet with a pro liaison. They, 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 they may meet with a trainer if that's possible. And they may, may meet with academics. Then they're grinding out four hours of tape. Then they got to go to practice. Then they have to get in the car and maybe drive an hour, hour and a half, and then sit down and type in reports, which could take them till one o'clock in the morning. So, you know, it's a great job. It's an outstanding job and a great profession, but it's a hard job. And certain times of the year require you to spend a lot of time with it. Um, and then 
and then once once the uh, the December hits, then you're going to have some meetings. You're going to get ready for the All Star games, the combines, pro days, February meetings, and then April meetings for the draft. And the big thing nowadays, Duck, more than anything for the area scout, is they really have to know these players, and the background information they get is almost as important as the the the, the, the position evaluation itself. Because it's, it's, it's imperative that the people in charge know exactly who we're trying to bring in the building. And everybody talks about that. And that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that you don't take a chance on a player, give a player a second chance. If you've got a strong enough building or a strong enough position room where you can take a player that might maybe have questionable work habits and things like that but have, have a lot of talent, you may consider that. But for the most part, Football's a hard game. Pro football's a really hard game. And it's as tough mentally as it is physically. So those that can get in there and grind and handle it and do extra are the ones that are going to be successful in the end. Then the other area you got is the pro scouts, and most of those guys are in – or girls. Uh, the, the Young women are getting great opportunities now and, and doing a great job. Anna Burnett is a full-time scout with the New York Giants. There's several other women that are full-time scouts now, uh, a bunch of them that have been in the office working salary cap. Donna Ponte, who works with Troy Vincent, she was an assistant for me when I was at the, uh, at the Jets. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities now. But the pro scouts basically are in charge of your emergency board, anybody that's on the street, bringing people in for workouts. They're in charge of free agency. They're in charge of practice squads, evaluating those every week. And they also do the advances for the game, which is primarily a personnel-driven report, except nowadays they spend more time with the, with the analysts, uh, offensive, defensive, and special teams analysts, in terms of putting that, that, that whole report together. Um, so it's a pretty, you know, a pretty involved business. I'd say, I'd say uh, most teams are probably going to have uh, approximately 20 people in scouting, whether that be assistants and uh, – and, uh, you know, pro college, and then you consider your, your GM and your assistant GM and, and so on and so forth. So every, 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 every situation is set up a little bit different. But um, I think the biggest thing, and, you know, Marcus was even talking about this, I think you really, one of the things you got to do is you got to know your team. Any of your scouts, you have to know your team because you have to know, you know, what you're looking at in terms of what's being asked of the players and then who can come in and upgrade us. Now, I know it's fluid because the guys we have on our roster right now may not be there next February or April or, or March or April. And so, uh, but I think it's important that the scouts know your players, know who they're evaluating, know what they're evaluating uh, from a scheme standpoint and a fit scheme uh, uh, standpoint, and then being able to make that evaluation off that. Okay. Uh, two more questions, Terry. I, I want to uh... – to understand, you gave us the life of the scout, college and pro scout. What is the life of a general manager? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, well, I can tell you, I, I, I did it for five years. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's an all-encompassing job, Doc. I think one of the things that gets you a little bit frustrated, you know, you'll, everybody goes into that job with a, with a different skill set. And mine was in scouting. And I loved it, and player personnel, and running the draft, and working free agency. Um, 
But there's more to it than that. You've got uh, all these uh, different departments that you've got to deal with. You're dealing with the coaching staff. You're dealing with the owner. Um, and a lot of things that take you away from that evaluation process, especially in the first couple of years. And you might sit at your desk in the morning and say, I'm going to do these 10 things, and then you never get to them because 10 other things came up that you had to deal with. At the end of the day, you sit there and you say, what did I do? But obviously, you know, you, you did what you had to do, whether it be a, a player coming in, a coach coming in, a staff member coming in, or, you know, dealing with the owner, or, you know, th- those kind of things that are really important parts of your job. And I felt like one of the, one of the things that we did, and I learned this from Carl Peterson, who I, who I, I owe my, uh, along with a few other people, owe my career to, is we met every Tuesday with every department in the building, even on the business side, for two hours, and just went around the room and say, what's going on this week? So they all felt like it was important, and, and, uh, and then we'd have a good idea of what everyone was doing. There were no, no surprises. And one of the things, um, when, I first got, when I first got there, I said, I said you know, um, I tried to join the business and, the, and the, um, the football part together, which doesn't always happen. In a lot of buildings, it's separate. So we try to do it together, um, but you can't just pay that lip service. So you got to be able to, you know, make them feel part of it. And those meetings helped. And I always made sure, even during the day, I took a walk through the business side and, and made, made sure I knew those people. And so, um, you know, I think that was important. So every GM job is a little bit different in terms of what the responsibility is, but it is it is all-encompassing. And, and um you know, when you win, things are great. Uh, when you lose, things are tough. I think looking back on it, uh, I was never a micromanager. I always wanted to make sure everybody knew what was going on. We had a playbook for basically every department in the building in terms of how we were operating, and, and I wanted to make sure everybody knew that. But at the same time, I didn't want to micromanage. And, and so there's a fine line because when you don't do that, sometimes you don't always hold people accountable. And I think there were some – certain circumstances where maybe I could have done a little better job as far as that goes. But for the most part, looking back, I, I really enjoyed it. We went to the playoffs three of the five years that Herm and I were there. And, and so, um, you know, it was good. And then, and then Mike Tannenbaum took over when I stepped down and Rex came in and, and we went to two AFC championship games. So um, I felt good about what we did. Didn't win a championship, but, uh, but uh, all, all in all, I thought we did okay. Okay, uh, my last question before Tim comes in for you and Marcus is just kind of uh, the owner's role. Does he come into the scouting meetings? Uh, does he come in and talk to you, make suggestions? Uh, is he more of a micromanager? Well, they they have every right to do that, and uh, I, I I had a great relationship with Woody Johnson, um, and so I. You know, I was lucky when I got into business, you know, not just with the stars of Miles Tannenbaum, who's no relation to Mike, but, you know, I go to the Giants, I have Wellington Mara, and I go to the Chiefs, I got Lamar Hunt. I mean, those are, you know, staples of the NFL. But, you know, Woody Johnson gave us everything we asked for. And I think the one thing, like, they just want to know what's going on. And there wasn't one time where where any of those guys ever told us to take a player um, we always tried to involve them, try, always tried to educate them in terms of what we were trying to do. You know, we, we, we'd have those meetings, and, 
I thought it was really important for me any day that, that Woody would come out to watch practice that he and I would spend time together during the day just to let him know exactly what was going on. Because the one thing you don't want to do, you don't want to have any surprises. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate. But owners are different. I mean, some are more involved than others. You know, they're all they're all in there on draft day, obviously. Um, shoot, I remember, I remember Lamar Hunt. I remember Lamar Hunt. I think it was – it might have been 1993 or 94 when, when Charlie Ward was quarterback at Florida State. And Charlie Ward had said that he wasn't going to go to the NFL if he wasn't drafted in the first or second round. So we got to the seventh round, and we were looking at the quarterbacks. And Lamar, first time I think it ever had made the, 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 the suggestion about Charlie Ward. And I think the reason we didn't take him is because if he decided not to play that year – and all of a sudden decided to play in a, in, a, in, a, in a following year, it was going to cost us against the cap, and we wouldn't be able to do it. It was some kind of crazy idea. And we took the quarterback from Memphis instead. But, but I was very fortunate. Um, but the owners really, you, 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 if you're the general manager, you, you've, got to, you've got to do two things. You've got three things in my mind. You've got to have a good relationship with the owner, a good relationship with the president, and you have to have a working relationship with the media. You really do, and and uh, not everybody gets that done. And I think sometimes it can it can hurt you in the end. Okay, uh, Jim. Yeah, I'd like to ask. Uh, basically, uh, uh, the the difference. I, I know both of you all have coached uh, both on the collegiate level and on the pro level, or worked in uh, in the in that uh, that arena. <clears throat> and I'm wondering. Uh, if uh if both of you could kind of take a stab at letting us know what is the uh when you, when you're evaluating a player what is the difference between when you start looking at a player as a pro scout as a as a as a uh, opposed to a college recruiter now i understand college recruiting has changed a great deal the last few years with the uh, NIL and some of the old rules don't apply anymore but uh you are um you're, you're really, um, um, at times, I, I hear stories about them looking at kids as early as, uh, you know, eighth or ninth grade and noticing them and sort of following them. But I get a sense that maybe the pros are looking more in the, in the immediate. Uh, but can, can both of you take a stab yeah. at giving me a sense of, uh, of, of what the difference is? Uh, first, uh, first Terry and then, uh, then Marcus. Yeah, Tim, I would say this. I would say uh, evaluating for college is so much more difficult only because there's some, there's, a, there's a lot more projection, um, you know, whether it be – and I know baseball does a similar thing because they're, they're, they're drafting either uh, high school kids or third-year college kids, and there's a big difference there. And obviously it takes them longer to get to the league because they've got to fight through the minor leagues. But what they'll do and what the baseball does is they'll give them a present grade – on a college kid that might maybe they give him a four as a power hitter in high school right now, but then they project him to maybe a six based on his frame. They think he's going to get bigger and stronger. They think this, that, the other. To me, there's a little more, you know, crystal ball with that. We're, we're pretty lucky. I mean, they got to be, they got to be a third year player and anybody who's a true junior third year player that's coming out is probably going to be ready. Um, but I, I and, and, and Marcus can probably attest to this. One of the things I try to find is there are some players in our league that we get 
either seventh round pick or priority free agents. Maybe it's an offensive lineman that needs some seasoning. That guy who who doesn't get drafted but has some upside to him, like there might be some way to identify that with a with a with a projection grade more so than somebody you're gonna take in the top four rounds. But I can only imagine and I haven't done it in college, but now like when you take a tenth grader or even an eleventh grader and say, Here's what he's gonna be now and here's what he's gonna be in three years you know, that's a pretty good jump. Right. Marcus? Yes, like, uh, I don't know what Terry was saying, but, like, really, when you're looking at it on the college level, you really have to start identifying guys. Everything's got moved up. Even in the 14, 15 years I've done this uh, on the college level, like, it's it's moved up. The clock's moved up. So you really <laughs> got to start identifying elite players when they're ninth graders, eighth and ninth graders, actually. Wow. Um, wow. So you identify them that early, and – what you're looking for, you know, you're looking for those size, speed, and athletic traits you're looking for, you know. But one of the things is the, the, the business is still a relationship business, you know. Un- unlike with some other sports, uh, high school football does still mean a lot to us. And your relationships with the coaches still do mean a lot. Um, I know with basketball, it's not that way. AAU kind of runs the show, but in, but it's still in football, high school coaches still have to have the relationship. So, one of the things within the relationship is that we have to find two things when you when you really get to know a player. You got to find out does he really love football? Because like Terry said earlier, football is a hard game. It's really really hard, and and that, it's not for everybody. So some kids kind of you know, especially in this social media area media era, the kids really like think they love football, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty, the everyday process. The, the film watching, the weight lifting, all the conditioning that you have to do all year round, maybe everybody's not up to that. But you got to find out that. Does he really love football? And the second thing I think is really important is I want to find out how competitive the kid is. I want kids that hate to lose. You know, they hate it with a passion. And those are the kids, if you can find the kids with the size, speed, and athletic traits you're looking for, but they have those two deals right there, I think you got a really, really good chance of uh, you, you have a really good chance of getting a guy that's going to develop into something special, you know. So mm-hmm. you got to identify early, and uh, you know, and, and like I said, it's still a relationship business. And one of the things, like Terry said, you got to be able to project, and it's just certain things you kind of look for. Um, probably the best guy I've been around uh, that was able to do that. He could see a player and he project them to something else. Was was when I worked with Butch Davis in North Carolina. Like Butch would see a guy. Mm-hmm. And he'll say, oh, he reminds me of this, and he reminds me of that. I know he told me the story about when uh, when he was recruiting uh, the late, great Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor was a great high school running back at Gulliver right. Prep down in Miami. And, you know, for I think he had over 2,000 yards rushing his junior and senior year in high school. But but somehow, Bush convinced him to play safety. He said, son, you're a great running back. You'll be a great running back for us when he's at Miami. He said, but if you play safety, you'll be one of the best that ever lived. Like that, he told him that, and and wow. and if unfortunately, you know, Sean passed away at a, at a really early age. But I think if he had played a full NFL career, like ten, twelve years, which is what he probably would have played if he if he had lived, he probably be go down as one of the best safeties that ever ever played the game. You know, just like that. But he was able to project that. I remember when I was in North Carolina, our three starting 
uh, backers, none of them played linebacker in high school. Two were quarterbacks yeah. and one was a running back. So he was able to project them being something else, and all three of them got drafted, you know, into the NFL and played in the NFL. So it was interesting with that. So, um, so I learned a lot from him when it came to that. Uh, I learned a lot from guys like Mike Loxley at, at Maryland about relationships. Like, it's amazing the relationships that he had, and he was able to project also. But worked for some really, really good guys that were able to do those things. But you have to be great at it now at identifying the guys early uh, um, because if you don't, then you, if you're too late on a guy, and then sometimes you have no shot at getting well, yeah, Marcus, you, you, you said something very interesting, and, and a thought came to mind. I remember uh, you were talking about guys changing positions, and uh, I remember that, you know, uh, back in the old 70s and 80s, uh, more so in the 70s, uh, a little bit in the 80s, you know, your linebackers were big, strong, tough guys who, who clogged mm-hmm. the middle and that kind of thing. And, and then there, there was this um, the Miami Hurricane phenomenon where I think when Jimmy Johnson got there, more so than when uh, Schnellenberger was there, they started doing that. They started converting uh, running backs to linebacker, and the guys started playing sideline to sideline and being a lot faster. And and actually, Lawrence Taylor had a lot of lot of effect on that because there were there were plays where you used to didn't block that outside linebacker, and with him, he was so fast you had to start blocking. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how how much of that has completely changed the game itself uh, in terms of what you're looking for when you when you find players now in terms of just base recruiting and and, and what you what you look for in an athlete yeah I, I say I just think you're you're looking for those those athletic traits and uh, and things like that and like uh, the kind of the best story that I can kind of give you um, with my experience is, uh, is, is a guy that played for me probably the best player I coached when I was a high school coach is Joe Hayden. He's the corner uh, that, that, drafted, that drafted in the first round by the Browns and played with the Steelers oh, yeah. also. He, he just oh, finished yeah. a 12-year career. He just retired from a 12-year career in the league. And, and it was so interesting. He was a great high school quarterback. Like, he, he, when, he, when he graduated, he was the leading passer in the history of public school football in the state of Maryland when he, when, he, when he graduated. But when he graduated from high school, he was 5'10". You know, so, and I just remember he was really close-minded to being a quarterback uh, until he had a coach to come in, uh, Tony Ball, who was he was a coaching at the University of Georgia at the time. So they came in to offer him a scholarship, and he, he Tony Ball sat there and told me, he said, "Son, you you're a, you're a hell of a quarterback. You know, we watch your film. We think you're an outstanding quarterback." He said, "But son, there's only one guy in the league at that time that was like you, and that was Michael Vick. Michael Vick was the only guy in the league at that time that had a skill set like him." He said, "But with your skill set, if you decide to play corner," He said, I think you're going to play in the National Football League. That was the first time he even opened up his mind to even thinking about playing something else other than quarterback. So, you know, long story short, he got signed by Florida as an athlete. They signed him as an athlete, and Urban Meyer, of course, was the head coach at the time at Florida. And I just remember mm-hmm. he graduated early, graduated that December, enrolled that January. And I remember getting a call, like, right in the middle of spring ball, and Irvin called me and he says, oh, Marcus, oh, we're going to move Joe to corner. I said, J-. I said, Coach, Joe's never played corner in his life. I said, he was a free safety and a quarterback. And that's it. He never played corner ever. He said, Marcus, he's the best one we got. I'm like, huh? How is he the best one you got? You're in Florida. Like, how is that? He said, well, he, we feel like he's the best one we got. And he ends up starting every game for three years and was the seventh pick in the first round at a position he had never played before. So I just think you got to get kids that have the athletic traits. 
and, and that, that can actually play other things. Now, some guys, they're just that. They're all what they are. Like some big guys, you know, like you might have a guy that, that is just a center, or you might have a guy that, that is just an inline tight end. You know, that's all he can be. He can't be anything else. But what you really want to recruit are guys that are positioned, have some position flexibility, and have those this athletic ability to kind of move around. And a lot of kids are going to do now what I'm noticing is if, if it gives them the best chance to play, you know, in, in at the school that you're at and then eventually play in the National Football League, they're open to anything, as long as they can see themselves doing it. Yeah. Coach, Coach uh, Terry uh, Bradway, um, I played college ball with a guy who uh, never stepped foot on the football field played college basketball, but he was he was uh, uh, scouted by the Cowboys and the Seahawks and, and actually went to camp. Didn't make didn't make the roster, but but was uh, was looked at as a as a tremendous athlete. Um, the same thing happened with um, uh, Gates uh, that came out of Kent State. Never stepped foot on the football field, even though he played in high school. But he was a basketball player. And uh, then there were guys like Tony Gonzalez and. Uh, uh, the uh, big uh, kid uh, from North Carolina who played both sports in, in, in college. But um, talk about the versatility of athletes and how skill sets can can uh, can uh, you know you know make you uh, a pretty good football player at the at the pro level. Well, Tim, it's funny you mentioned Tony Gonzalez because we, we drafted him when I was in Kansas City, and probably one of the most fun days I ever had scouting was watching Tony play basketball against Brevin Knight and Stanford at the uh, Maples Pavilion with Marty Schottenheimer and Paul Hackett. And um, Tony actually started that game because Eddie Gray had gotten hurt. Uh, but Tony was a football player also. Uh, he he uh, But we put together his highlight tape, and the highlight tape included his postseason game against Villanova where he had 21 points and was the uh, Chevrolet player of the game. But that's happened. Like Chris Hogan was a lacrosse player at uh, – Penn State, and I think you've seen that a little bit. There's a couple other basketball players that have gotten shots. I remember in Kansas City. Sam Clancy. Detroit. What, what's that? Sam Clancy with the Cleveland Browns. Oh, yeah. He played, played oh, basketball Sam, at Pittsburgh. Yeah, Sam Clancy was a good player. He's a good defensive player. Well, Duck played with a guy, Kenny Dunnick, that played basketball at, 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 at Memphis that was our, our tight end. Um, but but I think, you know, we, 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 we looked at that, and then – what happened was, I think, some of these guys that would really be interested, the basketball guys, they, um, you know, they get they get enough money to go play over in Europe. So mm-hmm. the incentive for them is probably just to go play. But I, I would love to have an opportunity, especially because I think when you look at the tight end position, or you look at somebody on the defensive end with some length and range and things like that, um, you're you're always you're always looking for athletes and. The one thing I wish, um, and we'll see what happens here over the next couple of years, but I would love, love to see the, the either the XFL or the USFL or whatever league becomes become a developmental league for us because we don't have enough we don't have enough opportunity game opportunity to develop younger players that could be even could be on the practice squad. When we had NFL mm-hmm. Europe, I was in Kansas City. We sent Brian Waters over there. He became a Pro Bowl guard. Uh, when I was at the Jets, we sent Brandon Moore over there for one year. He became an 11-year starter at guard for for, uh, for the Jets. And then there were numerous quarterbacks that got to play. I just wish there was something. And I know we signed we signed three players from the XFL to go to training camp with us, and we'll see how they do. Um, but I would love for, for there to be a developmental league 
for the NFL because there's a lot of players out there that just deserve a little more seasoning that have the athletic ability. And once they get coached up and get some reps and get some tape out there, I think they, you know, I think it'd be great for our game. You know, we talk about developing the game. Uh, I, I think that's something that we really need to do. I was a, I was a big fan of NFL Europe. We got to allocate players. Um, you know, there were a, a few would come back and maybe get injured, but that's would be part of the game. But in the long run, like the benefit for those guys, you know, and if you talk to Brian Waters or Brandon Moore, they would be strong advocates for a developmental league. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to stay with you, Terry, because you got a young man like Marcus Berry and some other uh, young guys out there listening. How can they get a shot? at the NFL, what type of steps uh, would they need to take? Well, you know, you, like like Marcus talked about relationships, I think like, you know, and, and, and obviously Marcus is doing a great job where he is and, you know, don't know what his aspirations is going forward, but, you know, he's he's got a good reputation among scouts and so on and so forth, and I'm sure he has a network of people. Um, it's hard, Duck. It's hard because, it's a job like we get asked all the time, you know, how do I get in? How do I get in? Really, to be honest with you, uh, this, this, would be, this would be my advice for young people. If you've got a passion for this game, whether you're a player or you, if you go to college and maybe you go to a big school and you're not playing, but you're involved with the football program and you're in recruiting or you're in video and, and you're around it and you're learning and so on and so forth, um, you can get a chance. The problem is the most of the internships that are available are for young people, and so you know there's there's uh it's it's the it's the old p h c program that uh that Mangini used to talk about poor hungry and driven and you know the mentality in this business if you're an intern and and if 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 you're if you're get if you if you get an opportunity to get your foot in the door as a summer intern or whatever it is you've got to be the first one in. The last one out, you got to know how to act. You can't have all the answers. I see a lot of people that go try to look for jobs, and they they want to hand you a book of reports they've written. Nobody wants to see the report. All they want to know is how hard you're going to work and how important it is to you, and if you're going to act the right way when you're around the other people because how you fit in chemistry is so important too. So I think that's, that's it. It's, it's, it's hard, but... If you're a young person and you're in college and you want to get involved, you know, then you need to try to do everything you can. I've got, I've got a young lady that's working up at Rutgers in the football uh, recruiting office whose who's, who's, uh, dad is the head coach at a high school down here. i got another one in Georgia who is actually a, a great three-sport athlete here that decided not to play uh, sports in college, and Fran Brown's taking care of her down in Georgia. And we've got another one that we may be getting involved at Tulane. And these are student at, students that, that want to get involved in the program and want to work. Where is it going to lead? Who knows? Because there's only a certain finite number of jobs available. The one good thing now is that the opportunities in college are more than they've ever been. And, and that, not just with, uh, you know, you go look at a college directory, and my gosh, between coaches and analysts and everybody else, there's a lot of names on those lists. Especially at the especially at the big time schools, so I would just I would just say I mean you just don't you just don't know and then you got to get lucky 
I mean, if I don't meet that guy, Duck, and 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 a, at a play at a health club in Atlantic City, I I would probably have been a high school athletic director and and a coach and been happy. You know what I'm saying? But I got lucky, and sometimes that's how it happens for people. But you got to be willing. You got to be willing to put the work in. You got to be willing to work. Okay, uh, uh, Marcus. I guess I want my question to you. What are some of the uh, cons? You know, we hear some of the pros about what you're doing. Are there any cons? Uh, right now, okay. With 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 the, no, with the climate. In the, of, just in the, okay. Yeah, just in the past. You know, it doesn't have to be right now with Temple. You know, just kind of going through it. Well, you know, like. Just going through, and I know I've seen a lot, it's a lot of things that that kind of go on that kind of like confuse you. Like right now, the thing that's that's you know kind of kind of crazy in the in the business right now is this this nil. Now I'm happy that the kids have opportunity to make money on their name, image, and likeness. You you want them to have that, but I think a lot of it's been blown out of proportion and taken out of context um, because you know it's it's a it's a thing where Guys are guys are being bought, like in in certain circumstances. So, and that's just not. I don't think that's how it was intended. So, when the NCAA allowed it, when they went ahead and allowed it, because they almost had to because of uh, Congress uh, uh, passing a law that saying that you had to do it. I think it should have been somehow regulated um, in, in some way to where, hey, you know, it had to have some parameters for it and so on and so forth. Um, because it's right now it's the wild wild west and everybody's talking about it all over the country, um, but that's kind of one of the things that's a that's kind of a, a crazy thing right now. And then also with the transfer portal, how it's done, a lot of kids that are going to this transfer portal, man, they're going in and they're retiring, you know, because they're doing it the wrong way. You know, you can't if you don't have an opportunity if you're not a really really good player, why would you give up a scholarship to go try to find one that you might not have? You know, a lot of kids don't want to persevere and kind of get through it. You know, that kind of thing. And some kids might have opportunity to make a move, and it's fine, but there's too many guys that are going in the transfer portal and have nowhere to go. And that's one of the things that's right now that's kind of bad about about college football. That's that one thing that I hope we can kind of remedy and kind of take care of uh, in the near future. But, you know, as far as in the, uh, the, the, the scouting and personnel game, like I've aspired to be an NFL scout. Everybody that knows me for a long time, I wanted to – to be in and and that, and just like like Terry said, I I just didn't find the right thing. I had good relationships, it just wasn't the right fit and didn't get the opportunity. I had a couple interviews, uh, but didn't get. I thought I did good on them, but I didn't get them. But kind of living vicariously now through guys that I've mentored and guys that I've worked with that are having those opportunities. Like I'm super proud of my man Will Christofferson, who's now a scout with the Chiefs. He was with me at Maryland, and, and he how about he gets in the league and in his first year they win the Super Bowl. I said, man, you got a hard act to follow now. <laughs> you win the Super Bowl in your first year in the league. Like, that's going to be a hard act to follow. And then, you know, really super proud of, of Brandon Yergin. Brandon Yergin worked with me in North Carolina. Got him as a young guy, you know, kind of saw him go through. He just, like Terry said, he got an opportunity to be a personnel assistant with the Patriots. He busted his tail, worked long, long hours, and, and kind of got it done. And, and now my man Brandon is in his early 30s, and he's a director of college scouting, and I think he's on a fast track to be a GM one day. You know, and these are guys that I work with and kind of help mentor. I, I kind of want to see young guys do well. But one of the things, like what Terry said, you've you got to be a guy that's got to be open-minded. If you really, really want this, 
you might want to take a, a low-paying job or, uh, or you might take an internship that's not paid to prove yourself and kind of build your resume and build your relationships. I tell all young guys they need to go to the AFCA convention every year and network like crazy. Get to know people and, and never burn bridges. You always want to, you know, make sure that you, uh, you have good relationships with people, even people that you might, they might not like you. Or, or you might not like them, but you still got to have good relationships because uh, you never know who's going to be the guy that helps you to get the interview to land you uh, the position that you're looking for. So open-minded, go bust your tail. I mean, I know a young guy right now. He's a, he's a GA at a small school, and uh, uh, literally, he, you know, he doesn't make a lot of money. It's very little money. So to make ends meet, he's driving. Oh, he's an Uber driver. So anytime he has any time, he lines, signs onto his app, and he drives Uber while he's a GA. So he's he's making it work. He's 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 trying to build his resume and then, and he's making ends meet also. So I think you got to have that kind of drive uh, in today's world just to get the opportunity to prove yourself. Okay, uh, Princess. Gentlemen, thank you. This was really just good just to listen um, to you all and and explain from a, a point of view that I really haven't heard before, Marcus and, and, and um, Mr. Oh, gosh, I forgot the last one. I'm sorry about that. Right um, away, I, I appreciate you all being on. Um, and, and I also wanted to just ask, too, um, if you could just talk from a point of view before we get off of how you have support from your family and how having the right support will, will help you um, and assist you in, in, in doing this. And I'll start with you, Marcus. Well, yeah, yeah. I think you have to have support from you because you're away a lot. You know, you're you're away a lot. You work a lot of hours, especially during the season. And uh, like now with with college football, you're off. You don't really have much of an off season, so you don't have much vacation time and things like that. So you have to have a very understanding wife. And my wife Anita is absolutely outstanding. It's my angel. You know, she she does a good job of like taking care of home, so I don't have to do all those type of things. But she's a great support system. She. That almost every game, and I think you, you just you almost have to have that, you know. Like uh, you know, that's if you're like not some some women aren't like built to be like they're not made made to be a, a wife of someone that works in, in in coaching or in scouting or in personnel and things like that. But so you have to have yeah. someone that's very understanding, and and I have that. Thank God. Mr. Bradway, the same question to you. You know your your thoughts about this and just having the support of your family. Yeah, I would echo that with uh, Marcus, my wife, Kathy. She's been the rock here for uh, the 41 years I've been in the business. So, uh, and we have, we have two of our children. Uh, my son, Mike played at Villanova. He's, this is his 16th year in the league. He's with Kansas city. Uh, he was with Philadelphia when they won the Super Bowl, And now he's had a chance to win uh, two more in Kansas city. So he's on a, a lucky trail right now. And then as Marcus <laughs> said, our young one, Tom played at temple. And we love Temple. We're, 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 we're all in with Temple. Temple Tough is a real thing. <laughs> and uh, my son Tom had a great experience there and, you know, had a chance to win an AAC championship. And he went to work for – he actually tried to go – he was working for Stryker Medical. And as you, got, as you all know, this football thing, <laughs> it just draws you back now. You can't say no. And he was lucky to get with the Raiders out with Mike Mayock, and now he's with uh, Ryan Poles in Chicago scouting the Northeast. So – very lucky there, and our, our daughter actually could probably be better than both of them, but she, uh, she was a lacrosse player in Delaware, and she's, she's um, uh, a VP of HR for 
a company in New York City. But uh, very lucky, uh, very supportive. Like you, like you say, a lot of a lot of time away. I don't at this stage of my game. I don't kind of remember all of it because it it runs together. <laughs> but uh, but we we you know the the, the good thing and, and Marcus can attest to this. There there are decisions you make in this business that uh, put your family first and your career second. Yeah. And I, I don't regret any of that um, because that's that was most important to me. And I felt like if they were doing well, then I could do whatever I wanted. And and um, I, I never wanted to be in a position where I was trying to reach and reach and reach and do something that, that took them out of where they needed to be. So that's a big part of it. And I think as you get in – to this game there's a lot of other people that feel the same way and um yeah we're very fortunate to have the people we're around thank you all very much marcus very simple university and, and terry bradway carolina panthers we appreciate you all being on it and and and, and giving us some wisdom and some insight to what you all do um have a great week and ha- uh belated happy father's day thank happy you father's thank day guys thank you so much and, thank and you marcus, God bless. In another month marcus <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you soon. All right, buddy. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. God, thank you. Stop. All right, God thank bless. you. Tim night. Moore, Doug Growley, thank you. All right. Thank you. All right, thank you. Never had it so good sports radio. We'll see you back here on Thursday. We have another great um, night of programming. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.